Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about online card games. Before we do that, Buddy, why don't you show the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, on this podcast, we like to talk about games, and probably one of the most frequently mentioned games on the cast over its 200 and whatever episode run has been Hearthstone, because I've been playing a lot of it. I've basically been uh, on the game since 2016. Uh, Like, I played a lot in beta or whatever, and then I came back, or then I left, and then I came back in 2016, I've been playing a whole lot. Um, But there is a new contender on the, the horizon. Much talk has been made of the Riot Games... Uh, challenger to the genre, which is Legends of Runeterra. Now, Mango, you've been playing some Legends of Runeterra, right? Yes, yeah, for the past how many week. How many hours would you say you put into it? Like, Ooh, not uh, too many, obviously. Yeah, um, I'd say, like, hmm. Pro- so I've done, the bulk of what I did, I did the tutorials, and I did three expeditions, um, one of which I managed to get the full seven wins on, so whoop de do for me. Um, I'd say it's probably close to like 10 to 12 hours at this point. I did put in a bunch of time this week just because, um, especially on that first day, I found it fairly compelling. Um, Mm -hmm. just to kind of, to, to, to state it, um, like I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's also like significantly different enough from say magic or Hearthstone, um, that there's a lot of joy in just kind of like sussing out the mechanics there. Whereas like, you know, magic is something I've been playing for years and years and sure, sure. Hearthstone, I think, was kind of built on a model much more similar to Magic than Runeterra's is. Um, really? That See, that's interesting. I feel like the opposite is true. I feel like Hearthstone and Magic are kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum a little bit, and Runeterra is kind of like this marriage between them in a way. In, in terms of what, though? Like, in terms of just general sort of card game design. Like, okay. part, like, part of that is systemic to the engineering of, you know, digitized uh, card games. But part of it is just things like, uh, you know, like, I've talked in the past about how the aggressor decides versus defender decides, like, mechanic okay. d- differentiates Hearthstone and um, Hearthstone and Magic. And so, like, there's that. I also think that, like, part of it is, like, you know, the intense amount of... Um, uh, the intense amount of uh, random value generation that cars that Hearthstone has, right? Where like a big part of the game now, if you were to like tune into a stream or like watch the World Championship, right, is about understanding the greater context of like the card pool rather than the context of the deck itself. If that makes sense, which I think is is like also very different from what magic offers okay so i i will say that i i understand what you're saying there and i guess in kind of those ways that they are comparable i i take your point that runeterra is kind of somewhere in the middle i will say however that in the in the ways that like like runeterra's mechanics behave much differently than than like the kind of set of hearthstone and magic right like magic and hearthstone both kind of have this like you know, back and forth mechanic on kind of like a macro turn level. Um, Runeterra has this very interesting, like, inter-turn round thing, and you attack, like, essentially, each player gets, uh, like, there's a this attack token, it's called, that goes back and forth between the players every, essentially every other round, right? You get to attack. Um, 
with some mechanics around screwing around with that. But inside of each of those individual rounds, the players go back and forth between each other, like explicitly, like you, you, you can't do things. And that has like very interesting effects on the way the game goes. Um, yeah, my understanding is that this is similar. There's like another card game that was like like this that had this kind of like multi-phased turns, which really like in a certain sense I think makes it seem it's almost like there are you know like I you you might say that there would be like four rounds in a way, right? Like you have one person's attack round, one person's defense round, one the other person's attack round, the other person's defense round, and it's kind of like four separate turns going in a cycle. I, not to say that's what it is, just like the idea that if you broke it, broke it down into that many, um, yeah, like uh, that many components, it would it would look a little bit more like that rather than just my turn, your turn, my turn, your turn. Yeah, the the thing that I think that really adds complexity here though is that those attack round, defense rounds are interleaved with each other rather than being sequential. Um, okay, and. Um, and it's kind of built around that. I, I think to your to your point though, as this kind of like halfway stuff is, um, so the one advantage of paper, right, in terms of like game resolution, is that um, we've talked about this before. But like in, in paper magic, there's this human kind of understanding of passing priority back and forth that like overlays what if you implement it as a computer um, is kind of complicated for magic, right? And Right. Uh, the the magic online, I, I magic arena. There we go. Um, uh, kind of handles that fairly elegantly. It still undergirds the whole thing. Um, uh, Runeterra, <coughs> excuse me, um, doesn't right like or Runeterra kind of takes. All right. So so first, let me go to Hearthstone. Solve that problem in the computer context by just getting rid of it entirely. Right. You don't act during your opponent's turn at all. Um, right. And uh, Runeterra kind of bridges that gap by having this kind of explicit back and forth motion, which um, lends itself to some interesting scenarios that I'm still having fun kind of parsing out the um, uh, par- parsing out the particulars of. Like, for instance, I think the single biggest thing for this is when you attack during your attack round um, has massive implications for how the game works because if – uh, you would you would you move first on your attack round, and if you uh, go to attack immediately, your opponent doesn't have a chance to play a creature in response, which is, um, you know, I, I guess to, to, to highlight it is in in the other games you can't play creatures in response because that's just like how the the uh, like the the game works because you can't play during your opponent's turn, but right. normally you can, right? Like if your opponent, if like you, let's say you want to play down a creature so it can attack that round with your other creatures, um. You have you as the defender have the ability to play a creature in response, and there's all sorts of reasons why you would do all sorts of different stuff. And I just find that those kinds of particular things to be new and refreshing, and not a thing I've done ten million times, which is definitely true for Magic. And I felt was like like that bar was kind of already like a quarter to halfway full when I started Hearthstone, since gotcha. it kind of had had those kind of. So, so the board states that you generate when it comes to, uh, like, Legends of Runeterra look different in a way than the Magic or the Hearthstone board states because, like, the combat phase is sort of, um, like, broken up into these component pieces. Is that, is that like, a summary? Yeah, I, I, think, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Also, your uh, so what? What is the deck that you have been playing? Like when you when you popped up, what was the first like? I'm gonna play this because so Hearthstone has classes, Magic has colors, Legends of Runeterra, as far as I understand, has regions. Yes, like vaguely defined like so, Ionia and Demacia kind of thing. So, so I actually do want to talk about this because I think this is actually pretty clever. So there's uh, uh, Demacia, Noxus, uh, Ionia. Uh, uh, Piltover and Sauna as one, and then Biltwater. Um, and they all have mechanics associated with them, but they don't have the same kind of, like, uh, like, they have, like, things that they're good at, right? But it's much more like that, like, you know how, like, in Magic, the different colors, like, there are effects that are, like, at home in certain colors. Um, like, you know, like, uh, Trample is a very green thing, right? Or Card Draw is very blue but it's also secondary in i think black and tertiary maybe in white or red green. depending it's, it's green oh is it green for, for, for card draw yeah okay white and red are really bad at card draw okay but but you know they still have the, the those occasional cards right like they yeah. like they you know white and red can do do card draw just not very good at it um uh the thing here is that like the mechanics have those kind of affinities but i think they're a lot weaker and the particular region mechanics are much more kind of like um, your like uh, your your set mechanics from Magic, right? Like um, Bilgewater has this thing called uh, Deep, whereas if your deck is under fifteen cards, your Sea Monsters all get plus three plus three, um, okay. and a bunch of mechanics around that kind of thing, um, uh, or like uh, uh, Demacia has a lot of uh, mechanics around buffing other. Demacia minions in their deck. Now, the thing that's clever about this, to me at least, is that it's easier to add a new region if they chose to because the mechanics, like, because those mechanics are all kind of like, you know, uh, like, what would be considered, like, less, less like, fundamental mechanics, mm-hmm. um, you could, like, add in a new region, even pull one out, pull pull a different one out and not kind of step on the toes of the other region, right? It's not like the design space is fully filled out by the regions. Um, uh, and so I think that that's very clever. But to, to your... So does, so does that mean that all regions do certain mechanics inside of the game as easily as one another? Like, are am I as good at drawing cards in Demacia as I am in the Shadow Isles? Uh, so no, but they are less tightly tied, at least from what I've seen. Um, okay. Uh, like it is, it is like drawing cards is, is fairly bilge water. Um, but there's also, I think it's also a thing for shadow isles and everybody has like a little bit of access to, to some of it. The other thing here that's, that's maybe, um, less clear is that you, you your deck can have up to two regions in it. And, uh-huh. uh, so, so this is, this is interesting cause like the way that, magic handles kind of limiting you for uh from from like kind of drawing from all the stuff from all the colors is your mana pool right like that's that's the big thing that um that land serves to do in magic is limit your amount of colors by making it hard to play all the colors effectively in one deck um the reason that hearthstone limits you to one class partially is because you have that regenerating mana pool um, there'd be no sort of limit like of that, right? Like if you had a, a theoretically open, uh, uh, totally open card pool, you could just pull the best things from each class and you know cover all your weaknesses. Um, sure. Uh, uh, Runeterra also has the regenerating ma- uh, regener- regenerating mana pool rather, and um, 
uh, it also has to do that kind of restrictive thing. You can only pull from two regions, but um, it makes it kind of because you're not as restricted as Hearthstone, right? Like you get two. It feels like you can pull like if you want to like if your deck has like a primary objective, you can pull in like like Bilgewater for some extra card draw, right? Like maybe pick up right. TF as a secondary hero because um, uh, TF's all about drawing cards. Um, although he doesn't really do a lot of it on his own, he just gets bonuses off of drawing cards. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, sorry, uh, I got off on a tangent there, but, um, there's a lot of kind of like built in neat, different win cons, right? Like, um, beyond like the reduce your opponent to zero, right? Like, uh, Maokai, uh, his thing is he's, his he's really hard to level up, but when he does, he like kills all but four cards in your opponent's deck. Um, mm. and so like. You'll, you'll basically get a deck win. Um, Teemo is based around um, putting these poison mushroom caps in your opponent's deck that do a damage every time that they're drawn. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but they do not count against deep, importantly. Um, but, like, that, there's, there's, there's a bunch of stuff there. But to your original question of what I have been playing, I've been mostly playing Expeditions, which is their take on the kind of arena draft version. Um, I can go into to that, too, but it's it's also very different in a way that I think is interesting. Um so I haven't done a lot, but I have. But when I do play constructed, um, since I don't have a ton of cards yet, I've been playing um, uh, a a Darius deck. I forget who my secondary hero in that deck is, just because I haven't played a ton of it. Um, uh, but uh, it's based around kind of getting to the uh, getting to the. Uh, uh, to the nexus and doing damage. I call it to the boards. It's not particularly well thought out because, like I said, I don't have a ton of options yet. But um, based around things like Overwhelm, which is uh, – uh, it's basically Trample in the game. And and uh, uh, the Darius is good at uh, – is good at doing – or has Overwhelm. And there's a lot of uh, uh, Noxus units with that. There's also a couple that, like, can't block or whatever. So – um, and so it's, it's a very face is the place kind of nexus is the place. Yeah, we would call that face in Hearthstone, I guess. Yeah, so yeah, it's damage. Yeah, um, that's that's the idea at least. Yeah. Um, okay, and then there's also the ch- so the champions mechanic, which if there's anything in Ring Terror, it's the one I think is like the coolest. It actually reminds me a lot of Commander, right? Where you sort of choose champions for your deck that are like it's sort of mascot, right? Like, if I'm going to play a Yasuo deck, it is a built around having Yasuo and having Yasuo level up and he does cool things and stuff like that, which is pretty neat. Yes. Um, a couple of cool things there um, is that if you have one of your hero or champs out on the board and you draw another one, it turns into a unique spell that will then shuffle a copy of the hero back into the deck that way, if you lose your one, you could draw it again, or like uh, you know, if you draw it again, you can cast the spell again. Oh, by um, the way, what happens when you deck out? Is it like fatigue, or do you? I or think is it like you, magic? you instant lose. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, actually, I managed to win that way once completely by accident. I wasn't paying attention, and the other guy just is like, "Hey, he's out of cards." Um, and then the deck size is forty-five cards. Is that right? Um, I think it might be slightly lower, but I don't remember. Um, okay, because, yeah, my understanding was that you could have three ofs, and so I, I just kind yeah. of naturally for for magic you can have four ofs. That's a play set, right? And then you can have sixty cards, so fifteen times four, right? Though technically it's a little bit less because of how lands work. 
Um, for Hearthstone, it's the same, just cut in half. You can have two ofs, and then in a 30-card deck. Uh, so I just kind of imagine it's 40. that it would follow a similar... Okay, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and you could have max six champs per deck, but, like... And there's no limit on the numbers. You could do, like, one of each six champs, but you'd need, you'd need to be only from two regions. Um, right. If you want, but... Um, like, the expedition decks, you get, like, one of each of three eventually, or, like, two of one and one of the other. Maybe eventually a second one or, or, or a fourth one down the line. You get cards as you win matches in uh, in the expedition mode, um, which okay, is fun. That, that's like the uh, the adventures. Yes. Uh, the, the dungeon crawl or whatever. Very similar, actually, yes. That's super oh. cool. I totally get that. Um, all right. That's pretty interesting. Um, are... There, so there are your regions, right? But there are, are is there any kind of neutral card? Pool? Uh, no, uh, because you get okay. access to two. There's no, there's no real neutral pool. Gotcha. And then, um, and then spells are all, like are also a thing that exists. You can play minions. You can play spells. Yeah, spells are um, spells are are also region uh, locked essentially. Um, gotcha. 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 Things work a little bit differently again in expeditions. You you don't have the two region limit, and uh, like in practice, it seems like you only ever get up to three. But um, if you want to, but uh, uh, <clears throat> when it comes to value for the game, right? Do you value is limited to your deck, or is there like extraneous value? Like one of the things I would describe about Hearthstone is that there's a lot of extraneous value in Hearthstone. Which is to say that, like, if you load up with, like, a 30-card deck, in a lot of situations, that won't be enough. Well, that's not that's not quite fair, because, like, most tempo decks are sort of like this. But, like, a lot of the time, if you're playing mid-range, you're playing control, you're playing kind of a higher-end sort of deck, um, you are looking for value outside of just the cards in your deck to, to like, finish off your opponent, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff that will, like, you can discover cards, you can put cards in your hand, you can, you know, add a random whatever to your hand, you can shuffle random cards into your deck, all of these other sorts of things. Um, is there is there anything kind of along those sorts of uh, lines, or is it just, like, if you want value, draw more cards? So th- there's a little bit, um, but it's not nearly as prevalent as in Hearthstone. Like, one of the bilge water kind of mechanics is stealing cards from your opponent's deck. Um, okay, that's cool. It's kind of like priest. The yeah, priest copies them. It does not actually. It, does it steal them out of your deck? I don't think so. Okay. Um, although something I discovered the hard way is that if you you, you draw cards out of your opponent's deck, um, but um, if you do that, you can activate the spore caps that you have in there that, that are in their deck. I killed myself once that way. Um, oh my god! Yeah. Um, so maybe you do actually pull them out of your de- uh, pull pull them out of their deck. Um, uh. Uh, and there's also a couple of things that will generate like uh, random, you know, X cost ally f- ally from uh, from the void, essentially. Um, okay. Although so some like tokens. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, although they they don't have like mechanical tokenness, if that makes sense, right? Like in the same way that like you can like discover a card in in Hearthstone, uh, you put you you generally don't get to choose, but like you know like. Um, what I was playing with today is you play a card and it generates a random one cost minion from any region and gives it scout, which is a, is a separate mechanic. But um, stuff like, like there's a bunch of cards that will generate like X cost minions. Okay. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, and then is there anything like a hero power, right? Like one of the ways that you generate, you can generate value in Hearthstone is with a hero power because it's effectively infinite, right? You can use it once per turn, but you can just summon as many fucking Silverhand recruits over the course of a game. And that's, you know, infinite value or, you know, ver- like, or various other sorts of things, right? Lots of, uh, uh, lots of the different hero powers kind of like change or morph or depend on how your hero power is working in Hearthstone. Is there anything like that in Runeterra? Uh, so the closest thing I can think of is that there are uh, – is, is like I said, when you play a champion, you draw a second copy of it. It'll turn into a spell. Okay. Um, but that is not super consistent. The other thing is that like there's there are a handful of cards that will – you cast them and then you'll put a fleeting version of that into your hand, which a fleeting means it goes to the end of turn. It essentially lets you infinitely recast it so long as you have the mana. The thing that kind of like – I think it makes sense most sense to mitigate here. This is also a thing that kind of mitigates not having a card at the beginning or kind of having things to play early in the game or whatever and not spending all of your mana. Um, and I think this kind of falls into value. Is that up to three unspent mana will go into a a pool that um, can only be used to cast spells, but that will, like, like essentially, like, if you have three unspent mana, it'll go into spell mana. And then on the next one, you can use that spell mana to cast a spell on top of the regular mana that you have okay so Uh, if i'm playing a control deck and i don't have a turn one turn two play i generate three spell mana in that pool and then on turn three i could cast a six mana cost spell uh yes or like a three mana cost creature and a three mana cost spell you can't cast creatures with that with that spell pool and it's that pool is also capped at three it's um but it's it's especially effective early on at making you not like behind if you don't happen to draw like a one or two cost card interesting Um, no i i definitely get that i mean that's uh like the tempo versus sort of like value uh interaction will always be like decided by those couple of turns right like if i play the if i get my one drop down and i can just kind of like own the board this to be honest this actually doesn't really happen in tempo versus value matchups because any good value deck i can think of will include a good way of dealing with that, right? So, like in my quest warrior deck, for instance, um, <clears throat> it's weapons. The whole the whole deck worries about and cares about weapons and attacking in order to like complete your quests and everything. And that's kind of like your late game plan. You're just gonna always have two, four, threes popping onto the board or whatever. But if I am against a demon hunter, uh, like a tempo demon hunter matchup, which is like the big tier one matchup right now, um, the way I deal with his one drop, two drop kind of thing is i equip a weapon and i attack it and kill it i use those weapons as removal essentially um what tends to happen though is if you are in a tempo versus tempo matchup whoever controls the board sort of uh can run away with the game um because a lot of times what those matchups are built to do is sort of own the board and then push face after that in a way um, and so if I go turn one and I just have the better curve, I can just like hardcore curve out on a, an enemy tempo deck. Cause it just doesn't have good catch-up mechanism. I like tempo decks very rarely have good catch-up mechanisms to like get themselves back into, uh, get themselves back into things. Uh, so that's actually, that's pretty interesting. Um, yeah. I almost wonder how that affects the sort of like, like do, do, do aggro decks run a lot of spells? Do you have a good sense of what aggro decks even look like? 
I don't. This is the thing too. Is it's it's hard to be super aggro, and this also messes with tempo too. Is that like the mana increases every round, regardless if you're the attacker, right? So like if you're you're attacking on mana one and mana three and mana five, right? And your opponent's attacking on mana two and mana four oh, and mana God, six. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, I get yeah. That. So like it's like part of this is up to chance, and like you can play defensive creatures on the op on the off turn too, right? But like it like like. Like, on turn two, you can't attack as an aggro deck. So I haven't found anything that's, like, super hyper aggro. Um, oh. um, but maybe I'm just, like, not looking. Like, again, I've been playing Expedition, which kind of, like, you know, muddles everything towards more generalist decks. Um, rather than being for, uh, I, although it is a little bit curved, right? Like, the 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 sets they generate, um, they'll, like, put on top as, like, it's a synergy pick. They will, like, match the cards you're getting to like, kind of, like, form to your uh to the things you're working on mm-hmm. um uh so it's but it, i i i haven't found anybody that's like super hard like like even my to the boards deck isn't isn't like super fast if if that makes sense um like i haven't found that anything to be like super over like i've never found a game that i felt like that i just kind of like got I'm like I would I that I thought that I was done like within like in within a couple turns right and it never felt out of reach, um, uh, it took at least to like what I would call like what felt like at least a mid game for me to feel like I was uh, I was kind of getting out of uh, the, you know getting into unwinnable territory, um, which is it, it's it's weird. The other thing too is that like. There's, like, not a lot of mass removal in the game, like, at all. Like, dealing damage to multiple things at once is, like, a relatively rare effect. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Like, the 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 biggest mass removal card I have seen is there are a couple that will do, like, one or two damage to enemies. Um, maybe only one. Um, there's a couple that, like, will do, like, exactly, you know, exact numbers of damage to exact numbers of targets. Um and then there's one card that, like, you play it, and if you have a creature with over, I think it's five power, destroys all creatures with under four power, and that's, like, the closest thing to mass removal I've seen. Uh, and, and it's, like, super expensive, too. Um, wow. That is super interesting. I mean, that that is also another, like, interesting thing I always thought about between Hearthstone and Magic. One of the things that defined my career in Magic was Wrath of God being four mana, right? Like, when I was playing... Ma- I mean, this was obviously, like, 20 years ago at this point, but when I was playing... Um, it was all about can you wrath the opponent's board before turn like on turn four, right? Whereas in Hearthstone, uh, mass removal is actually like pretty common in a lot of different sort of like situations, right? But like you don't get that kind of a like a showstopper, you know, like only Warlock has destroy all minions, right? That's twisting nether and yeah. it's eight mana. You cannot pair that with anything. Um, and if you want the better version of it that just clears the board no matter what, right, like that's uh, uh, Plague of Death, which is a priest spell, which is nine mana, and it's just, you know, the whole, everything is everything is gone, everything is silenced, no death rattles are going up or anything like crazy like that. So it always will take your full turn, whereas in Magic, something that ha- that'll happen is when you get into the late game, you can Wrath as a small... You know, like, you start by Wrathing and then follow up with, like, a mid-game creature or whatever, right? On 8 mana, I can Wrath and play a Ravenous Bayloth, which is, like, a 4-4 or something kind of along those lines. Um, 
And so that's a really interesting thing because I do think mass removal, mass removal actually tends to be important. Uh, I feel like in uh, these considerations, because like one of the things that will define a value deck is your ability to use mass removal. If I can use my one twisting nether to kill seven of your to kill your whole board, right? I can card for card you that way. Um, and that's one of the things that like will define how control decks, especially in control V control decks sort of like work out. Uh, but a world with very little mass removal is really interesting, especially cause like one of the biggest effects of mass removal is its ability to catch up. Right. If I'm playing, uh, if I'm playing, I mean, people are bitching about this all the time now in Hearthstone. This is the new meme. Um, if I'm playing Tempo Demon Hunter, I have a card in my deck called Altruist that says whenever I cast the rightmost or leftmost card in my hand, I deal one damage to all enemies. And it's a huge catch-up thing. If I'm playing the Tempo deck, but I lose the board, well, I can get my Altruist turn off, and I can clear his board and generate a board of my own sort of thing to swing things back into my favor, right? Um, I feel like without mass removal, games will tend to run away in the mid-game, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, so I have found that it's like it's hard to get like a super strong board advantage. Um, I don't know why that is, but like for, like your board has a cap to it, but I'm rarely ever like hitting that. There's a couple instances where I've hit that cap, but like it's not like a super common thing. And like it feels like trades are much more consistent. Um, I think it's it just feels like it's much harder to to get way ahead because um, there are some cards that will regen health. Um, Garen and Brom, most notably, uh, like kind of like you know they essentially work like the way magic cards work, right. um, but everything else has has you know has uh, has persistent health, um, and uh, and for for whatever reason I, I I haven't really don't have a good sense for why but like um, maybe the the values don't get super high like there are a couple of cards with like really big values but um, most like most problems don't seem super insurmountable. Um, I don't know. I, I'll, as I play it more, I'll try and figure out a, a a better reason as to as to why it feels that way. But um, again, Are you spot removal cheap. Like, how cheap is is it? As a, if I have a spell, it's like destroy a creature. There are very few of those too, right? Like, there are some that are like like Noxian Guillotine, kill a damaged creature. Um, but okay, like, yeah, sure, that's like execute. Yeah, that's yeah. Exactly. At, like, how expensive is that? It's three, and then you it'll put itself back into your hand for the turn. Um, like, oh, okay. Wow, that's pretty good. Um, or although I might be thinking of, yeah, yeah, no, that's that's the right one. I uh, um, but like, you can get that off at most four times, right? Like, and that's if you're like fully fully mana and like full re- full spell mana reserve. Um, but it's also like, like it's not like like Mystic Shot from Ezreal is deal, deal two damage, and it's I believe it's two. Um. There's a couple other things that'll do like small amounts of damage. Clear, are these so Mystic Shot is if I have an Ezreal on board and I draw an Ezreal, I um, get generate a Mystic Shot. Yeah, but it's also its own card. Like I think oh, okay. I think maybe all of the replacement spells are also their own spells. So uh, Noxian Guillotine could be run in a Draven deck. I don't know if Draven is a champion. Yes, but. he is. Okay. Um but yes. Um I also don't know if Noxian Guild. It seems like it would be Dra- uh, D- uh, Darius' spell, but I'm not super sure about that. Yeah, that's the name of Darius' alt is, is why yeah. I ask. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah. Uh, 
but what what do I use for for so it just seems like because there's so another part of this too is that it's like not a lot of things will do direct damage to face right to the nexus. There's some that will, but like getting twenty damage directly to the nexus would be kind of a feat, right? Like, um, like spore caps is a way to do it, and there's some direct damage spells, but I don't even like. I feel like it'd be like hard to get twenty damage worth of face damage spells in your deck in the first place. So you're forced to to do a lot of combat, right? Like, there's no like version of this in Magic where you just kind of stall and like, you know. Throw throw direct damage spells at their face until they die, um, right? Like like lightning bolt three damage for one would be like unthinkable. It feels like in in uh, in, in in Runeterra, um, and because you're you're fighting and you've got the defender advantage, right? You choose what to block with a couple of uh, there's a couple of mechanics like uh, challenger lets the uh, bless you lets the attacking creature choose its defender and then vulnerable lets you. Uh, let's anybody pull you out onto the field that is mostly done by uh, like that's another bilge order thing that mostly grants it to like targeted enemies on the other side of the field. Um, so that's kind of like taunt in a way, right? Yes. Like yeah. Forcing your forcing your the the combat to to uh, I guess yeah, the, be the, adjudicated in a certain way. Yeah, and, and if like I said, it flows both ways. Some of them like you know like. Some of them, like it, some of them, is the, the creature in your side gets to pull pull whatever it wants to, and the other one is um, anyone on your side gets to pull one from the from the other or pull, pull a specific one from the other. But um, I think that like that's the most removal I do, right? Is like like baiting matchups, having to throw stuff out and like accept the results of kind of trades, um, uh, and then like maybe doing some. Screw, screwy stuff with spells. Um, there are three types of spells. There are burst spells, which are um, like uh, what's what's the uh, what's the like faster than instant spell in magic? Um, split second. Yeah, split second. Like burst is like split second. Fast is like an instant, and then uh, slow is like a sorcery essentially. Um, speeds of magic. Um, uh, okay, so, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and there, there's some direct damage, but a lot of it's like buff your creatures or like throw, uh, throw barrier like barriers like divine shield on uh, somebody or like uh, or like draw a card, you know, just like weird random effects. But um, uh-huh. uh, yeah, it's uh, it's I, I I guess what keeps it from running away is that like you're basically forced into combat a lot. It's it's hard to. It's hard to get stuff done without doing combat, and that like leaves you open to being to you know stuff happening. Um, that actually makes a lot of sense to me. It's one of the things that um, like so for instance, Ben Brody used to say this all the time about Hearthstone, where he says we want Hearthstone to be a game about the board, um, which is part of the reason that like some of the old school versions of decks that would do things like like fr- like Freeze Mage, which basically just locked down your opponent's board and kept hitting them with direct damage spells to the face was something that they kind of, like, nerfed out of existence. Um, If you want to play a deck that is all spells or whatever, like, you can. You know, Spell Hunter was a thing for a while. Spell Mage is a thing right now. But even those decks, right, like, one of the big payoffs to having Spell Mage is there's a one-mana card called Font of Power that just puts three mage creatures in your hand, right? Um... And one of the things that makes 
one of the things that made Spell Hunter work so well was the ability to uh, summon a bunch you you like summoning wolves and stuff as part of your spells right so you're casting flanking shot four mana deal three damage to a minion summon a three three wolf or emerald spellstone would summon a bunch of wolves or whatever so you're still like interacting with the board even as sort of a face uh spell deck in a way um and it actually i I think that that i understand where that sort of design space comes from because you know in a in you do want the game to be I don't really know how to put this. You want the game to be interactive. Right? Yeah. And so forcing it out on the board is the best way to force that interaction. You never want people to lose by right like never being able to do stuff it feels like. Yeah, and like the the kind of back and forth you get with 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 the inter round kind of sub rounds, kind of I think also reinforces that it's very hard to do a bunch of stuff without your opponent at least getting the opportunity to do something in response, um, right? Like this is part of the balance of of playing the uh, uh, of, of like deciding when to attack is like every like there's no summoning sickness, but every creature that you you summon to then go attack with right is an opponent's opportunity to play a blocker. Um, and so, uh, and so like, there's an advantage to maybe attacking early and not attacking this round with that creature, just because you, you'll keep your opponent from being able to do anything about it really, um, save for some spells. So, um, it's, uh, it's, it's a very interesting set of dynamics. And like I said, I'm still exploring that and still figuring it out, which is why I'm finding it so compelling, I think. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, um, are there so like one of the other things that magic does a lot is is you know uh like disruption um so like a good example of this would be like discard spells which are in magic but not really in hearthstone uh and the reason they don't have it in hearthstone is because it feels bad because like those cards are not fun um and so, so where where do you think Runeterra kind of comes down on that? Uh, you mean on forcing that your opponent to discard spells? Yeah, are there uh, is there stuff like that? Nothing out of hand. Very little out of deck. In fact, you do that to your deck more often than you do to the opponent's deck. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and uh, there's like I think Ionia has a counter spell, um, but that's the I don't I know Ionia has a counter spell, um, but. That's the most I have seen. Um, there's not a lot that like. There's not a lot that screws with your enemy's hand. There's stuff that like will like make it obsolete or whatever, right? Like there are like these kind of clever back and forth, you know, buff, uh, buff plays with with magic during the combat phase, which uh, resembles magic. Okay. Uh, but that's the closest you get, really. Uh, yeah. So so yeah. Okay. So no, nothing that'll that'll kill your opponent's hand, as far as I know. Um, yeah. I don't think yeah, I've that's seen... pretty interesting. I I, yeah. I mean, it's something that they've even sort of talked about in Matt. Like land destruction basically doesn't exist anymore. Whereas you know, in the original version of Magic, land destruction it wasn't exactly common, right? But like the the counteract like the thing you do to counteract someone's rampant growth is you stone rain that land, and it brings them back down, right? Um, and so, uh, 
I sort of wonder. I guess I sort of wonder what that might look like uh, in in sort of one of these digital card games if they if they like. I don't know if they were to institute something like that. Um, have you played some of like the slower like decks? How how slow or how fast have your decks played? Um. So I had a uh, a sea monster deck. Um, that I kind of built out. Uh, uh, so the, the slower decks tend to be building towards um, leveling up your kind of end game hero and uh, or end game champ, and those champs tend to be able to be leveled up even if they're not in your hand, right? There's some champs that like um, need to be on the board to level up, uh-huh. um, and there are some like uh, there are some like uh, that'll uh, level up, like that will they won't like level up until they hit the board, but like they will like come into the board and be leveled up when you, when you, when you throw them down, right? Like you'll throw them down and they'll play the level up animation. They'll be leveled up um, because you fulfilled their, their uh, uh, consequence or their, their level up condition ahead of time. Um, and those tend to be like your, your, uh, that champ is kind of like your, your win con. And I think that's kind of why there's not a lot of spot removal because they also tend to be a little bit beefier. And uh, if you could just like spot remove that creature out of existence, it'd be uh it it'd be pretty devastating, um, uh, and like it just kind of like invalidate the game plan in a lot of ways, um, but uh, like the sea monster deck was very much about like you know play stuff, draw cards, get yourself deep, and then play these, um, play these sea monsters, which when they're deep are fairly value right, like uh, right, um, just because like you know a plus three plus three is a is a is a Fairly beefy buff. Yeah, it's buff. like a three mana six six or something, right? Like if you're playing yeah. a three mana three three, beefing that up is is real value. Yeah, um, and so uh, yeah, it's um, I feel I feel like I'm gonna have to get back to you onto like the the real mechanics of this, just because like you know, like I've said, expeditions aren't particularly typical, and also like, um. I, I haven't played a deck that like like was like like particularly intentionally off curve, right? Uh-huh. Like, um, like they like. I feel like you could get yourself into a place where like if you went aggro against an endgame deck, the aggro deck would just like you walk over the 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 endgame deck with nothing to do. But I also don't think you'd build a deck with nothing to do, like with you know without any cards that are like you know less than four mana or whatever. Um. Uh. So. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure exactly, like, how, like, it's definitely one of those things where, like, when, like, like there are a couple of, of decks that are, like, really endgame, right? Like, Maokai, um, that Obliterate deck, um, is, like, very endgame, and I've never seen it, like, actually work. Like, I've never seen anybody activate Maokai's ability, but I what imagine is, what if... Is, what is Maokai's ability? So, when you level up... Um, I'm sorry. What what is the thing you need to do to level up? I mean, uh, so you either need to see you, you don't need to see it. Actually. So see is, is seeing something is a is a technical mechanical term where the champ has to be out. But um, it's uh, either your creatures die or you toss cards out of your own deck. And toss is you you discard cards off the bottom of your deck. Okay. Um, and so when you've done that enough, uh, Maokai levels up, and when Maokai levels up. You obliterate, which is destroy non-champ cards. I think um, no, obliterate might be might include champ. There, there's like some. 
I, I forget exactly what the what the difference between obliterate and toss, but it's, it's, they're similar. Um, you obliterate all but four cards in your opponent's so, deck. So, yeah, you're basically you're, – this is actually a little bit like uh, – there was a card in Hearthstone called Rin, um, which was like a 3-6 taunt with a death rattle that would put a spell in your hand. And the spell was like five mana, summon a 2-2. Two, two. And you cast that spell essentially five times. Like each time you cast it, it casts – or it puts a bigger version of it back in your hand. Um and the final reward was like Azralon the Destroyer or something like that. And you play him and he destroys your enemy's deck. Um, yeah. Which was like a win condition for Control Warlock for a long time, right? If you got into a super hardcore value match with a Control Warlock deck, well, sorry, buddy. I'm just going to rin your whole fucking deck out of existence. Get get wrecked. Like. Yeah. Um, and uh, like the, the, the counterpart to that, or, or and, and like the, the other one I can think of is... Um, Nautilus is zero twelve, um, and he levels up when you go deep, which is much easier than that Malachi condition. And when he levels up, he's uh, he becomes a thirteen thirteen. Uh, so you know, and that's like the biggest creature I've seen in the game. Um, okay, uh, like especially without buffs, um, but it doesn't have over. But Nautilus doesn't have overwhelm, so like you can chump it. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, and like. Because, like, like it will notify both you and your opponent that, like, you know, you're building towards that, that, that level up progress. So, like, you kind of know you're on a timer. It's not like, you know, you're going to be surprised or whatever. Um, yeah. The other thing is that Maokai generates saplings and saplings um, die. Like, they're, they're built to die. Um, so, uh, uh, so like, you, you, you run that number up pretty quickly. Um Okay, yeah, I get that. That's that's really interesting. Like part of some some of my thinking is that um so like if you compare the basic set, like the basic and classic sets of Hearthstone, what Hearthstone released with, it looks very different to what Hearthstone looks like now, right? Part of it is like the acquisition of some new mechanics that, you know, like I would argue are uh strong ones. So like for instance, um Rush has been pretty huge for Hearthstone. Rush is the ability when you play it to attack, which is kind of the uh, the mirror version of Taunt. In the same way that you were talking earlier about um, like challenge and vulnerable or whatever, right? Like you can play a Taunt minion, which forces your opponents to attack it, or you can play a Rush minion, which you can attack another minion with immediately. You just can't go face. Um, and it's really, like, changed the game uh, a certain amount, a measurable amount, right? Discover is the same sort of thing, right? Like like I said, so many of these matchups uh, nowadays are kind of, like, built on sort of where and how you can find extra value to, like, put in your deck. Like, so uh, the Quest Warrior deck that I've been running for a long time, I first made that deck at the start of the expansion, Um and I was slowly whittling it down to a place uh, that I liked. And then Brian Kibler created a version. And I more or less adopted his, his version, which was pretty similar to what I had, just with a couple of cards different. Mostly, he just kind of respected the tempo of Demon Hunter more than I did. Um, and so he added a, a couple of small cards just to deal with those sort of, like, tempo threats, right? Like, one mana deal to, to a minion sort of thing. Um but recently I have made a change where I pulled a little bit of that out because Demon Hunter is getting a little bit less popular. And I'm finding myself in some of these kind of prolonged value matchups. And so I added in two cards called Sky Raider, which is a one-mana, one-two pirate that adds a random pirate to your hand, right? Um, and part of this is because, you know, so the 
one of the core cards of the deck is called Ankar, which is a, I mean, it's an anchor, but it's like R, because uh, when you attack, you draw a pirate from your deck. Um, and I kept finding myself in these situations where I was getting Ankar and I had no pirates left in my deck, and so adding Sky Raider, which is itself a pirate, to be drawn out of the deck has been pretty uh, has been pretty useful. And also, there are a lot of pirates in the like the random card pool generation. There are like nine pirates right now um, that are pretty hardcore value that can win me those later game matchups against something like priest or like rogue which are very like value oriented basically the way that so the matchup goes like this um if i'm up against tempo i'm using the weapons to deal face to deal um incidental damage and trade so like they're playing one mana two two right and then i equip the two two weapon and i clear two of those kinds of guys right that sort of a thing um and eventually i stabilize with big armor gains through uh characters like um armor like through armored smith and armored goon which are just like giving you armor for doing stuff but um but against a value deck the matchup is all about quitting completing the quest as hard as possible and then keeping myself attacking their face generally to add a 4-3 every turn right here's a 4-3 i attack here's another 4-3 and then i use the remaining six mana to like do stuff or whatever and so there's those kinds of interactions that are completely alien to what it would have looked like to win a hearthstone game in 2014 right when i was playing hearthstone with like just goblins versus gnomes i was playing a control deck i was playing control warrior but control warrior was actually more of a mid-range deck back then that was built on using grom hellscream and then activating him with like whirlwind or cruel taskmaster in the very late stages of the game to deal 12 damage to the face and grom is in my quest warrior deck which i would also argue it's like a mid-range sort of value-ish deck um but it's not a deck that will go super, super late against, like, the hardest core control deck, which is, like, looking to, you know, this is something that you'll see in, uh, in like, Control Priest right now. They will include cards that shuffle cards back into their deck a lot because they are essentially just looking to fatigue you out. You know, they just want to extract all of the stuff that you, like, they just want to withstand all the stuff that you deal, um, answer you card for card, and then just end up with more stuff in hand than you have. Or whatever, and so that's kind of like the uh, the the thought space that I'm coming at Runeterra with a little bit. Like, where is Runeterra going to sort of expand into the future? Right? Like, what mechanics are is it going to look at and say, you know what, we really don't like charge. Charge is a pretty bad mechanic, but we can replace it effectively with this other mechanic called rush. Right. Um, we don't like people drawing super hard in all of their, in all of their matchups, but here's a mechanic called discover that helps people keep their hands full and helps the game have a lot of like movement and stuff going on without, you know, adding card draw as a, as a strength of all nine classes. Yeah, no, that, that makes, uh. That makes sense. I just I, I I can't predict where that is for for Runeterra. Um, um, I need to like feel out the meta more, right? Like I'm sure somebody on Reddit has an opinion on what the most busted deck is that needs to be nerfed now, type of deal. Um, but I've never I, I haven't played I've played matches of Magic and matches of Hearthstone where I felt like I just got like you know screwed by the draw, and like they were just like positioned to really kind of clown on me. 
I haven't felt that yet in Runeterra, which is interesting. That um, is really interesting. I, want, I wonder where that feeling comes from, in a way. Like, I want, is the source of that feeling something like, um, you know, I don't know. Like, an understanding of the meta. This is something that'll happen to me constantly, because I have a very good understanding of Hearthstone and the meta, right? Where I'm up against somebody else's deck, and I'm making reads on their hand and what their play could be. Like, okay, so last night... I actually linked this in the Discord, because it was, like, so amazing. Last night, I was playing um, my Quest Warrior deck against a Librum Paladin deck, and I got super low super quickly, just kind of because he tempoed me out a little bit. But, like, Librum Paladin is, like, a value deck, right? It wants to go into the late game. Um, and I got him to a point where he only had, like, two or three cards in hand, and even though I was at five or less life, I I knew I was fairly safe turn to turn, right? All I had to do was I need to clear his board, right? Or I need to get rid of that weapon or whatever it else, right? Like I can put up a taunt and if I can force him to attack the taunt instead of attacking my face, I can win this. But I also knew all he has to draw is Hand of a Doll. All he has to draw is Lightforged Zealot. All he has to draw is whatever, you know, like whatever the other card is in his deck that he can just equip and beat me with. Does that make sense? Um... And I feel like when you have a good understanding of, like, not just your own deck, but also your opponent's deck in that way, it becomes easier to make the read where you say, yeah, there's just nothing I can really do against that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I, I, I feel what you're saying. Um, uh, and for, for what it's worth, I, I think you're right. I think there, there might, like, you know, if you know the meta well enough. I had one person surrender to me, like, very early on and... Um, maybe he was kind of in that same position, but that was also an expedition thing. So, you know, who knows how expeditions go. Um, uh, but, uh, like, like I said, maybe I'll get there where I, where I feel that I haven't hit that yet, at least. Um, yeah, I don't know if I, if, um, uh, and it's just that, like, in the course of the game, rarely have I, like, looked at a board and been like, there is no way that I recover from this. It's happened a couple of times, um, but it's 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 rarely ever been, it's rarely ever happened, it's rarely ever happened early, if that makes sense. I've always felt like I've give, given it a good shot and, like, you know, like, I have felt like I've lost due to, like, not drawing the right answer sometimes, but um, I've uh, I've rarely ever felt that kind of, like, crushing, like, you know, like, I, you know, I really got screwed this time, right? Like, it just, it just feels like things didn't quite work out the way they, they could have. You know, what's know. actually kind of interesting about that, now that I'm, like, examining this feeling a little bit. Because I've also felt that, right? Where I, I'm just like, you know what? It just, like, didn't come together to me, right? Like, this happened to me the other day with a D... Like, that... My deck is very good against Demon Hunter. That's part of what makes it so successful, right? Because I'm equipping a lot of two-attack weapons and clearing that stuff early from the demon hunter and then being able to like generate the armor to stabilize uh with like when you games um but i was in this deck and i was or i was in this matchup where i was doing exactly that but one of the dangers you run into on quest warrior when you're using it in this kind of way is you're also taking a lot of face damage obviously right like you are attacking into two twos three twos four twos or whatever um and the idea is that you'll kind of be fine because eventually you'll get an armored goon and every time you attack you gain five armor and like that that's what gets you there but just in this game i didn't get either of my armor smiths i didn't get either of my armor goons i didn't get either of my evil quartermasters um and so i just kind of attacked myself into 
a relatively easy lethal range and that was that right like and I, when i look at that kind of stuff i look at it like variance right where i just kind of say you know what sometimes you just don't draw one of the seven cards in your deck that could have saved you here right like that that shit sort of uh, that shit sort of happens but i remember in the moment not really feeling that same sort of level of despair if that makes sense yeah because and i think this is one of the va- this is one of the things that that random value generation does that's useful right because i remember there were a lot of times in that game where i was doing things like okay i'm getting a little bit low but i have a chance here to discover shield block right i play one mana one one discover a spell maybe i'll get shield block and then you play that and then you don't get shield block but whatever it's okay you can like move on and because you get all of these sort of chances to like fill the gap to find the answer in a way um i don't know that just like that will uh alleviate the feeling i mean even when i was playing against that paladin and i knew that all he had to do was draw the card to win i won that game um and i won it because i drew an he played himself out on the board entirely and i was literally at one hp i was sitting at one hp um and i was able to clear his board and then i drew one of the cards i needed and that card gave me 10 armor and his and his hand was completely exhausted and he just instantly surrendered because i drew the answer and he didn't sort of thing um, so I don't know. I feel like in a certain sense that, that feeling is natural. Uh, that feeling is just natural, but I wonder where, like where it's Genesis is, um, in certain, in certain ways. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, hmm. it's weird too. Cause like, it feels like it's very hard to be in like one of these weird like situations without wanting to be there in ring terror, right? Like I have found myself with an empty hand very rarely in Runeterra, unless I'm running Jinx, who's built around having an empty hand, right? Like, that's, like, one of her abilities. Um, and, like, she levels up when you have an empty hand, and then she gives you an extra draw. And then when you have an empty hand on your turn for the first time, um, you get to play a, a, a rocket that does a bunch of damage to the enemy Nexus. Um, uh, very fun. And, like, I have gotten into situations where, like, I, like, was doing that. Um, and she also has a bunch of cards, or, like, you know, as a result, Piltover Zon has a bunch of cards that lets you discard your own cards. Um, and I was playing some of that, um, or I, and like I, I had games where like I would play to that, and then like my Jinx would get destroyed, and so my hand would be empty without like anything to show for it. And then I was top decking, but it's not like that was like a super common occurrence. Like that's just kind of like the risk of playing that that character. Yeah. Uh, um, and playing like the their card, you know, the cards that let you discard cards. But um, yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it it it's maybe it's just about like kind of like reducing the number of those kind of like really feel bad situations, right? Like like you know being in constant top deck state, um, or like uh, you know just like not feeling like you have any answer at all to what they're throwing at you. Yeah. Um, um it feels like also a lot of things, like. Like, your champs tend to have a lot of value attached to them existing, but it feels like a lot of the Runeterra cards are, like, value on playing the card, right? Or value on, like, the, you know, like, on, on an event that you can't, that's not, like, not easy to avoid. There are some cards that have, like, value on existence, essentially, is, is how I term it. Um, but, like, you know, if the effect on your card is, like, you know, do an effect when I come into play, the opponent really can't stop that very easily. Um and uh, that makes it less frustrating, like, you know, like, 
all right, I play my super special card. And also because you can attack on the turn that you get it, you know, you at least get one turn's worth of use out of it generally, right? Like, you know, I play uh, I play a card that, like, you know, does something on attack, right, or on striker, I think is what it's called. And so you put it out there and you get it, and even if it dies on that turn or it dies, like, you know, on the next turn to some sort of, like, you know, like a, like a mystic shot or whatever, you at least got that value out of it and you're not, like... Uh, totally up up shit creek so i I think that goes a long way in in feeling like you're not getting like screwed out of everything that you want to do yeah that's a common thing in uh like one of the things that people don't understand about hearthstone and about magic uh is like the frequency with which you will be able to untap with creatures you get to do it more in magic because of how combat works in magic right like if i have a one one that has a special activated ability i can choose to take base damage rather than block with it whereas if i have a one one with a special triggered ability in hearthstone my opponent you know if i don't do adequate protection my opponent will just nuke it um by attacking into it next turn sort of thing um but like the frequency with which creatures will perish and how much you will be able to get out of them if that makes like so for instance um like there's a shaman spell or a shaman card right now called um god what is it called uh evil totem that will add a lackey to your hand at the end of the turn and i feel like unskilled players at deck building will look at that card and say oh that's infinite value it'll just keep giving me lackeys but the truth is you basically get two lackeys out of that right because you generally want to play it in either a meta that's not going to punish an O2 on turn two, or you're going to play it in a meta where you can drop a good taunt along with it to protect it for like a for your second turn. It's just really rare that you're going to be able to find a good uh, minion that's going to last two or three, you know, two or three turns in a row. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and kind of saying that kind of brings to the forefront about just kind of about that removal question earlier. It feels like removal is more based around forcing other, like forcing things into combat. And when that's the case, you at least get the value of their attack out of it, right? Uh Like, so it's not like, you know, you know, two damage to your thing, like this does happen, but it's much more rare. But it's like, you know, two damage to your thing unanswered, you're screwed. Whereas like with like a challenge or like a vulnerable, it's like two damage to your thing, but I'm paying for that with some of the life on one of my creatures type of deal. Yeah. Um, uh, and like that creature is there. Like there are a couple of creatures that are like, you know, two, one challenger, right? Like, or three, one challenger that is there to force, um, force you to attack it. Right. Like there, that is there to just like be a removal thing. Right. Like, so, um, uh, but, and like, you know, you have a chance to respond to it in a way that you wouldn't necessarily with like a, like a direct damage spell or whatever, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 I get that. I want. I actually do want to keep talking about this, but I see that we're like running up. Because like the flip side of this, which I appreciate, just as like a, the my final thing here, the flip side of this, which I really appreciate, is the ability to do the opposite, which is read my opponent's strengths and weaknesses appropriately like so for instance something that a okay so something that demon hunter is not good at is dealing with single big creatures right something that rogue is very good at dealing with is single big creatures so when i play i just keep coming back to this quest warrior deck when i play this quest warrior deck and i put down an armor goon which is a six mana six seven that when i attack it gives me five armor right 
playing that against Demon Hunter is a huge threat because it's really tough for Demon Hunter to get rid of a big 6-7 minion like that. And a lot of the time, Armor Groon will stick around, right? But Demon Hunter does have a lot of AoE, right? And have a, have a good ability to kind of deal with, like, little chumpy bitches. So when I'm putting out 1-1s, 2-2s, 2-3s, or whatever, those guys tend to get chomped up pretty quickly without too much trouble. It's the exact opposite of an interaction when I'm playing against a rogue. Um, and I know that, boy, if I play that Armored Goon, he's just going to assassinate it, right? He's just going to destroy this minion. But those 1-1s, one those 2-2s, two right? Like, those guys, the rogue is going to have a lot harder time dealing with uh, comparatively. And I like those sorts of, I, I think it's sort of the, the, the mirror feeling of there's just nothing I can do in this situation, which is just like, I know I'm doing something that he can't deal with. Right. There's nothing he can do in this situation. Uh, which like I, is, is another thing. I don't know if that's my last point. That's the last thing I want yeah. to bring up. All right. Well, uh, let's move on to our, our weeks then, I guess. Uh, okay. So better call right. Saul. Tell Season me all four. about it. Uh, yeah, so what happened this season? Uh, Jimmy watched his brother die and then was kind of a dick about it for a while. Um, also, the cell phone stuff and uh, uh, spoilers for season four, Better Call Saul, and the previous seasons. Sorry yeah, big rip I... to anybody who didn't know what happened to Chuck, which, uh, yeah. you know, we talked about all last, all last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, oi, uh... What, what what is there to say about it really so the th- so i was super convinced that um kim had written that letter from chuck um and it appears to not be the case of our that was a popular fan theory by the way uh okay well i remember at the time people thinking that the letter was written well it wasn't necessarily by chuck sometimes the letter was written by chuck sometimes it was written by howard uh you know like maybe it was written by uh uh kim uh, but people, very few people thought that the letter was genuine. Yeah. Um, and I suppose later down the line, we could find out that it wasn't genuine. Um, but, uh, sounds like that wasn't revealed in season five, at least. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, just because like, you know, Kim goes through the, goes through the effort to highlight that, like, it's probably a fuck you from beyond the grave, which is. Why I think that, like, maybe the point is supposed to be that Jimmy's just kind of being an asshole at this point, right? Because, like, at the end of season four, he kind of, like, makes this impassioned speech about Chuck to get his law license back. Um, And uh, when they're coming out of it, like, Kim's like, wow, that was great, right? And, like, it seemed like sincere. And then Jimmy's like, yeah, I got those fucking suckers, right? Um, And Kim's just like, are you kidding me? Looking at him, right? So... I guess the point is supposed to be like, yeah, Chuck was a dick, but like, not that much of a dick. Maybe is is. Oh, is see, I so, okay. I I have a very different read on that. I, this is why I wanted to talk about this because I have a very different read on that situation. Because I think the important kind of context, like the mirror to this action, right, is Jimmy at the the scholarship meeting, right, where the um, where he's in that scholarship meeting. And there's somebody who has, like, a little bit of, a like, a record, but, like, she's trying to turn her, like, life around or whatever. And Jimmy looks at her, and he knows that, like, she's like him or whatever. And that, like, he wants to, I guess, 
I don't really know how to say he wants he 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 wants to reward her in the way that he feels like he has never been rewarded, right? And he isn't and she isn't rewarded that way. And so what Jimmy does is he plays the game. You like he he lies essentially, but to like play the game. Not out of like malice. I don't like I don't think he's doing anything like malicious, right? Um, right. but I do think that he recognizes that no one is going to give him the chance at redemption. He will be tarnished goods, right? And so, like, his only option, in a way, is to continue uh, deceiving and being and being shitty to the man, so to speak, in that way. But I don't like, quite think that makes him, like, an asshole, if that makes sense. Outside sure. of, you know, generally lying makes you an asshole, right? Right, but, like... I think, I th- like, you know, for all of Chuck's hypocrisy, he was, or he wasn't even like a hypocrite, right? He just like didn't think Jimmy was worthy of the law, right? And like, in some ways, it feels like, like Jimmy was working so hard to prove him wrong, but now he's like proving him right, right? Like, like I and like you know, that's kind of what he seems to turn into in in Breaking Bad, right? Like, he's the guy that will like. Not only like you know vigorously defend his client, but play dirty to do it, right? Like, um, uh, I think this also is reflected in the kind of like you know Kim's like we only use our powers for good, and Jimmy's like getting your banking client a larger banking branch is using our powers for good type of deal. Oh, I love that interaction. <laughs> well, because see, so okay, I think so. One of the um, one of the things that uh, Matt Zoller cites, who's like a very famous like television critic, right, said about Better Call Saul is that the core interaction between Jimmy and Chuck is that Chuck does the right thing for the wrong reason, and Jimmy does the wrong thing for the right reason, right? And I think that that is still, like, consistently true about Jimmy, in a way, right? Like, I do think he still has... And Chuck calls this out in his, you know, in the... in the um, It's not a trial, but in the in the hearing, you know, in the bar, right. uh, the bar hearing, where he talks about how Jimmy has this way of convincing you that doing the most absolute terrible shit is in some way noble, Right, and I do think that that is true, and that does happen, and in a lot of ways, he does the absolute, you know, he does terrible shit because it is noble to do it. Um, but uh, uh, but I think the, there is a certain level of like Chuck is also just abusing. He is also doing the same thing just in reverse, right? Where you know it's not quite hypocrisy, I guess. I agree, but it's like. He's just so vindictive, and he's such a piece of shit about it, right? That even though he's, like, you know, everything is by, like, sort of, like, the letter of the law, and he's sort of, like, playing the rules as written, in a way. Um, yeah, I mean, part of this, too, is... Yeah, I don't know. Part of this, too, is just kind of, like, maybe a difference in view on the legal system, right? And, like, you know, like, a kind of difference in realities, right? Like, I, I think that part of the thing they, they pull out here is that, like... You know, having a good lawyer on your side, like, makes justice work for you in a way that that doesn't necessarily work when you're, like, when when you don't have access to those resources, which, you know, very kind of real-world issue with, like, the real-world justice system, right? Like, the criminals, like, criminals get better results when they have a good lawyer, even if maybe they don't exactly deserve them, right? Like, that's kind of, like, I think the thrust of a lot of this public defender stuff that they do, Um uh, 
Yeah, like, I th- well, I think that's the that's the banking client thing, right? Jimmy points that out, and it's like, it's real, you know. Where is Kim doing? Is Kim doing the right thing by? Right, but, but is she no, also really. doing the wrong thing? Right, like you know, like a bank having a slightly larger footprint isn't a like isn't a crime, right? Like you know, it, the show doesn't seem to have a lot of like a, a big opinion on that, right? Like. Um, you know, the, the bank, like the board doesn't approve it and like, or like the the county board doesn't approve it. And like the show doesn't offer an opinion as to like whether they had like a very good reason, right? Like, you know, those three extra feet would have like pushed itself into like a, you know, a, an endangered species zone or whatever, or, you know, it could have just be like the county board being a bunch of pricks and nimbies, right? Like, um, and you could take either either way with that but like the show doesn't and so maybe it's just kind of like inviting people to apply their priors to it um but the but it's you know it's not it's not good but it's not necessarily evil either right like the the owner of mesa verde is, isn't a bad man by any standard that we can see right it's not like he's he's like uh it's not like he's gus right like yeah. um uh, uh which i think is actually a good segue into the uh into the second, like the the B plot of of uh, of season four, which is the excavation, um, uh, which I guess is just like supposed to show us like Mike, you know, turning into the hitman um, with uh, with you know like the the bait and switch where oh, yeah 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 because you know like the 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 they you know the the kind of for you know the, the false foreshadowing is it's a problem with Kai, but it's not it's a problem with with Werner. Um, yeah, the I I remember I called that at the time because I was like, see, it's it's absolutely not going to be, uh, it's Kai. absolutely not going to be Kai because like, it's not devastating. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, if it's, yeah, yeah. If it's uh, it's not devastating if it's Kai. It's devastating if it's Werner. I did not quite realize at the time how important it was earlier in Better Call Saul that that Mike was not killing. Um, like there's a, a specific point that gets made by Ignacio, um, earlier, maybe in like season two, where he talks about how like unwilling he is to kill, uh, Tuco and the extent to which, um, he will, he like went to avoid killing the, the truck driver or whatever. Um, in his in his uh, robbing of the Salamanca ice cream truck, um, and when I did a full rewatch, including all of like season four, I saw it better for what it was. You know, like that, that like Mike's descent into assassinhood. Well, just like that, how much he wa- he didn't want to kill people, right? Like that he yeah. wanted to be a good guy, I guess. Um, well, you know, and, like, and this being the you know like and this being the perfect kind of moment to really sort of challenge that kind of a conviction, right? Because um, it really it's harrowing, right? Like he has formed a real connection with this guy. And on one hand, you have Mike, who is the guy that was like, I I was hired to do a job, so I did the job, right? And on the other hand, you have Mike is the guy who will go to just brutal lengths to avoid assassinating someone. Um, even even if it is someone who you know uh, might otherwise deserve it. Yeah. Yep. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know if I have a lot else on that other than, you know, it, it was brutal. I thought it was well done. Um, uh, was, is there anything else in, in kind of this, this corner? The big, of... one, uh, the big one for me in this, in this one is the other thing is uh, how much it establishes uh, Gus is truly despicable, like a really terrible person. Uh, Gus hiring the doctor to um, oh to torture Hector essentially like get Hector better but not better enough yeah yeah exactly where she went the moment that she's like oh I actually think that uh, you know he can recover to a certain extent right and she's like and he's like all right you, you did good get out of here or whatever just so that he can effect- effectively leave his like arch enemy crippled for the rest of his life it's just like oh brutal yeah 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 although i will i will say that when they said john hopkin i clapped i uh, also i also did i understand that we were just you know like that it was just uh using placeholder for the best medical school or whatever yeah. but i have at least that much pride i guess yeah yeah that, that, that's like you know you, you hear that in, in all of these shows it's like when you want to signal like very good at medicine you do hopkins right like house mm went to Hopkins um, and is now at Princeton, right? Like, you know, it's yeah. like, ah, the name that are the smart, we, yes, we understand is good. Um, uh, which is, it's just, uh, and, you know, just kind of like a, a funny little thing, but you know, I, I appreciated it. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I feel else? like I'm not, I'm not sure that there is much more uh, in season four. I Howard like falling four apart. Oh yeah, Howard. Yeah, uh, Rip Howard. Th- this is this is sort of where Howard kind of loses, you know, in the way that I sort of described that this is a a, a story about clever people, right? Ignacio, uh, Hector Salamanca, uh, Mike, Gus, uh, obviously Jimmy and Kim, right? Hector just kind of doesn't really measure up. He is sort of um, Howard. Yeah, or Howard. I'm sorry, Howard doesn't yeah. really measure up. Uh, at least in in this sort of a uh, in this sort of a situation, he's kind of like half there, um, and and he can do some stuff sometimes. But like at the end of the day, boy, Howard, you were just outclassed, my my dude. Yeah, yeah. I I you know How, Howard Howard was uh, Howard still 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 my favorite, but you know I I don't I don't see things going well for <laughs> HHM past uh, past this season. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh boy, yeah. We we finally have Saul Goodman, right? Like we, um, which I think is supposed to also be very symbolic, right? Like he's he's abandoning the McGill name. Um, I think they really drive that home when they do like the piece where like he 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 goes and does karaoke with his brother. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like you know the McGill brothers, right? And like now he's he's not he's not a McGill anymore for for like effectively, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, but uh, that that was my thoughts on on season four. How is how has your week been? Okay, uh, so the other thing that we did this week is we did the first session of an Edge of the Empire Star Wars game. Um, basically, once once we did the Mandalorian episode, we were we were like, listen, we gotta we gotta fucking play this Star Wars. Game. We gotta do some Star uh, Wars. Yeah, where my my priority, to be honest with you, I mean. Uh, 
I probably could have chosen a better week to do this, given that this was the week that we were shipping uh, Relic Hunter Zero, and obviously I was going to be busy doing Relic Hunter stuff or whatever. Um, but I definitely had that sort of... Um, uh, I just had that itch, and I needed to scratch it. And also, I, I you know, I, I said to myself, right, like that this isn't going to be a big, you know, long thought out, campaign right that this is going to be very light very improv right um where where new stuff is just kind of like on the fly or whatever um i kind of like to be honest most of the session like most of the of the stuff that happened was more or less improv uh i had a vague understanding like i knew the instant i like i knew i knew the core pitch right you guys are on a capital ship that's being attacked and you have to evacuate and there's a ship in the hangar right next to you that that you're going to end up fleeing on right uh and basically everything else was just kind of out of just improv i guess <laughs> um yeah I, the system lends itself very well to that kind of thing right like all all yeah. tabletop rpgs have this um aspect of improv but um Usually, like, D&D PF2E require a little bit of planning to at least, like, get stuff in order. Um, it's pretty easy to, like, throw dice into the dice pool and be like, yeah, that's about this many challenges, and then this is a thing that causes problems, and this is a thing that benefits you guys, so go for it. Yeah, um, yeah I think – so I did not feel insanely comfortable, which I honestly think was a little bit like cobwebs because we really haven't played D&D in a long time. Or I haven't yeah. GM D&D in a long time. Um, and so uh, I was – I feel like I was a little rusty when it came to when it came to those sorts of things, um, and the other thing is is that like we are we're pretty unfamiliar with the system in general, um, which is you know not spectacular. Yeah. Um, towards yeah. doing cool, interesting, and unique and novel things. Yeah. No, I, I was gonna say like you, know, you when you said most of the session was and you I thought you were gonna finish it with like spent looking up rules because that was a fair amount of it. Uh, yeah, that was also uh, a good chunk of this. <laughs> and building characters too, which is you know, yeah, it, its own thing. But that was that was fun. I like the way it's come together. Um, it'll be interesting to see it play out, just because like the system is very much built with that. Like you know, you know, the standard Pathfinder kind of set is like you know, three combats with connective tissue makes a session type of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and this and Star Wars, I think, wants you to not that not to be true right like you don't have to be um great at combat in order to be a viable character yeah no so that's something i've been thinking about a lot okay so uh so we haven't gone into some of these uh details uh yet but um but i i spent a lot of time thinking about kind of like how i want to construct this in a way right like that this isn't a story where part part of it is that i want to be able to just kind of like have sessions where people aren't there um, yeah. Without that being too disruptive, which is uh, something you can't quite do in the big story-driven campaigns as easily as you can do in something like this, right? In something like this, you guys can kind of just like get put on a task, go do that task, and then come back, and uh, without there being like intense consequences are like driving the plot forward but i do think that it is important that there's kind of like an overall structure right it's not just like freewheeling in the wind but that you have like long-term plans and long-term goals that you are hoping to accomplish 
um, which is part of where these like factions have come from. Uh, like part part of the the underlying structure of the game is that there are seven factions, four of which are Star Wars canon, right? The New Republic, the Imperial Remnant, the Hut Cartel, and Black Sun, and then three of which are invented to sort of uh, to sort of like rally around. Uh, your for for your characters to sort of like make decisions around like something that I envision happening is somebody drops a session right, but they come back and your relationship may have changed with one of those factions, but all you really need to say is we did a mission that hurt them that like harmed them or we did a mission that that helped them so our reputation went up a little bit right like you don't really have to go into the details we don't really have to talk about oh well you got deployed as a as a sniper team and you had to kill the general you know like or whatever else sort of thing you can just kind of say you guys did a mission it worked out so you got rep or you did a mission and you killed a guy from the enemy faction and that was that was not great that didn't really work out um or something like that in order to uh yeah kind of like bridge the gap I have to imagine that those like those like kind of longer term things will only matter to our obligations and you won't like as much as it's nice to know what's happening with your friends, right? Like you don't have to know what happened. Like if you're not in the session, your obligation is not getting invoked. Uh, so the, so it, it doesn't matter if you're if you're not there, if that makes sense. Yeah, though, I do have a weird sort of thought about like how obligation works like in a group oriented sense because like one of the things about obligation is that you can like kind of naturally create obligation over the course of uh like over the course of action over the course of the campaign right um but uh in another game you might end up in a situation where that obligation is like quote-unquote fielded by the whole team if that makes sense right yeah yeah um, they've, they've they've got uh provisions for that in the uh in in i think in the book too uh if yeah. you look at the obligation section so yeah but yeah. But so yeah, so the the interaction between um an obligation as a personal thing and an obligation as a group thing uh is something that I have on my mind. Yeah. No, it's 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 super it's super interesting. Uh, I actually like the obligation system quite a lot. Yeah. Um it 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 really kind of puts like the, these these kind of like ties that binds things front and center with the ability for it to take a back seat if it needs to. Like uh. I think like the piece of advice is like look if you can't like build a good hook into it for this adventure, just be like, you know, you know, something happens and you're reminded of your obligation and you're afraid it's going to come to haunt you. And maybe it doesn't. And maybe it just has this like minor strain mechanic, but that's it. Right. Like, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's cool. Uh, yeah, I agree. I also think that that is cool. Um, I also think that there are, uh, I, so something else I was thinking about, for instance, uh, is, going completely into theater of the mind i really didn't respect i i you know i i saw like the move maneuver stuff or whatever and i was kind of like oh i i see so it kind of like divvies up the map a little bit that's fine that's cool but then but i realized that like you really don't have to have a map and maybe shouldn't have a map but also i that's just like it's uh it's that's an interesting question that i don't have a like a really great answer to so I think if we were all sitting around a table, we could do it without a map, right? Like maybe we have just kind of like our, um, like our, our like you know, like a, a our pieces out or something. We're just kind of talking to each other. But yeah. I think, I, I think even with webcams, it'd be a little bit tough. But I think like having, 
something like I think you you used a map that was like clearly meant to be put on a grid. Like I think a map that was like less either less concrete or like even like less kind of like obviously designed for grid might be helpful, mm-hmm. right? Like. This yeah, I've also like, been thinking about more lo-fi maps, um, like, you know, more generalized kind of, here's a hallway, here's here's a door, but it's all just, like, blueprints, essentially, and not trying to make something that's, like, verisimilitudinous. Um, yeah. yeah. Something I that, that I like about maps is I can place objects in them. So, like, so, for instance, uh, you guys did most of the stuff in the, in the thing, but there were, there was another hallway that went up, and you can go up and around, and there were two rooms back there that if you had explored, you would have you know, learn some stuff or whatever, or like you could have done some stuff. And that's something that I like about a map is that you can like put a chest on the ground and someone can walk up to that chest or like you can put a, a, a terminal on a wall and someone can interact with that like terminal in the middle of combat. And you have like good sensing of like placing and stuff like that, that, that kind of a thing. Um, so I don't know. I, 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 I like map map making. That's something that I've always been uh, drawn to when it comes to like RPGs like this. But uh, but the whole relationship between close, far, and all that stuff uh, really kind of makes it easy to just kind of be like, ah, eh, you know, you're close. Okay, well, I move into you know medium range, and then I take my shot or whatever. Yeah, um, I, I also think that like. Theater of the mind type stuff helps with, like, the – what are supposed to be, like, the more cinematic parts of this, right? Like, you know, you yeah. spend a destiny point and there's a tree there, right? Like, you know, like, you know, in this mindscape that we've collectively created, like, maybe it didn't – you know, it was kind of like, you know, a vague jungle scene, right? It's like, well, I need a tree to be here so you can put it there. It's not too much of a – it's not too much of a, an issue. Um, like, uh, I don't know. I, I also think that I, again I just think it it's it's hard to get it to work right. Um like maybe if we all had webcams it would work, but like I think it's hard to make it work right. Because um, you need you need something for your eyes to do, basically, right? Yeah, and yeah, around a table something to focus on for sure. Yeah. Um like uh, around a table, I think it, it would work well and I think also like I just think like the like the, the map having like 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 I almost want it to be like uh like uh you know those uh those like the 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 kind of play mats that we we play with that you draw on right yeah. like like that's the level of fidelity that I think is like perfect right because you can be like you know ah this is roughly what it looks like and it's not too big a deal to, like add a detail if you need to add a detail for story purposes um you know maybe that's best uh best accomplished by like having like a relatively blank uh a relatively blank screen that we just draw when we play. But uh, that also seems like it'd be hard to do just because, like, drawing with the mouse is, is tougher. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we'll, fe- we'll, we'll feel it out somehow. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely excited uh, to play again. Uh, I am too. There, I, I, actually, I thought that there was a greater than zero chance that I might not like the system. Um, part of my understanding like when i was first reading about things i was like oh this is kind of neat this is like 7c but like i was also kind of skipping around in the book and the more that i saw like a really hardcore defining of certain things like blaster damage or whatever i was like ooh, i'm not really sure you can marry like the dice pool with you know blasters having a crit rating of three or whatever uh but i was pretty effectively proved wrong i think uh especially by the the implementation of the api uh, that they have for the Fantasy Flight games, Star Wars game. 
Yeah, no, that, that definitely made it like it, it, it's got it's like it's uh, what's it called? It's it's weirdnesses, but uh, and it's like hiccups, but it's it, it really makes it uh, super doable. Uh, otherwise, I feel I feel like it'd be tough to do it without like having dice in front of you that you can like physically roll and like play around with. Um, I do think that is something that we're missing, right? Like the ability to just kind of be like, you know, roll this handful of dice and see how it goes and like, you know, throw dice in if it makes sense. I think it's kind of core to, to what makes it feel right. But yeah, uh, it's something it's something to, to work on, I guess. Or, you know, something something that we'll just have to deal with, I guess. Yeah. Um, we'll probably do a full episode of that at some point when we got a few more or one or two more at least. Uh, things yeah, because we definitely did. I, I, I want to do spaceship stuff. I want to learn starship rules and do starship stuff. Um, um, and uh, I also we, want to understand the destiny point system better. Yeah, the, des- the destiny were... points are, uh, I think, key to like the part of the magic of the system. Yeah, at least yeah, from yeah. what I've, I've, I've uh, you know. The, the other thing is, this is I don't know if, if for for long time listeners you'll remember that I recommended the podcast campaign a long time ago, um, and uh, that campaign stopped being a Star Wars campaign a year or two ago. I want to say, and I haven't followed it since just because I, I wasn't as drawn to the setting. Um, but, like, uh, another one of our players, friend of the cast, Charles and I, were big fans of that podcast. And so, like, that's our, like, experience of this. It was played in the system nominally. But, you know, it's one of those things where, like, when you play it on a on on a stream, right, or when you're playing it for an audience, it always rolls out a little bit differently. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's definitely, like, it's definitely closer to that dream than, like, I would have thought, right? So, um, uh, so I, I'm, I'm excited to play some more. And yeah. but the point there being that destiny was a big part of like what made that kind of compelling. It's the ability to just be like, here's a point, and this makes this kind of Star Wars like as as friend of the cash Charles put it, like you spend a destiny point to make the Star Wars bullshit work, right? Like the the star the, the Star Wars fantasy aspects happen, um, and so that's that, that's what I'm excited for, and that, that's why I'm, I'm I'm hopeful that that we can get nail that system. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else to talk about before we, we wrap this one up? Uh, I don't. I have nothing else to talk about. All right. Well, in that case, if you'd like to talk to us about uh, Legends of Ruterra or Hearthstone or any other things we've talked about on this podcast, reach us at simdurfsplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at simdurfsplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash simdurfsplaygames. Uh, follow us on Twitter, rate and review us on all the podcast places. Uh, that's everything I had, buddy. Do you have anything else you wanted to promote? I have nothing else I am looking to promote. Uh, not even Relic Hunter Zero? Well, Relic Hunter Zero <laughs> Remix is now out on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, you can go to bit.ly slash RHC Switch in order to get to the in order to get to the page. Uh, yeah, so it's out. I guess it's out. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Congrats, buddy. Thank uh, you. On, on a successful launch. And to all of Aquapara Games, I guess. I don't know. They don't pay me. Um, uh, Hashtag unsponsored. (laughs) Yeah, well, I guess that's it. Until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.